0: Well, good morning. Am I on? I am, okay. How are we doing this morning? Good, 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 surviving the cold. Um, well, welcome. I'm, I'm excited to be back here again. Uh, I've been here for a few months now, but for those of you who, who may not have had the chance to meet me, I am Jacob. I came on a few months ago as the spiritual formation and discipleship leader here at Northridge And as such, we are together working our way through a series called A Life of Apprenticeship, a series that is all about answering the question, actually what we just sang about, but also what that video just unpacked for us. What does it mean to accept the invitation to follow Jesus, and then how do we go about actually doing that? And so if you were with us two weeks ago when we started this series, it was about the first half of that. What is the invitation that Jesus presents to us? We talked about how it's really just, it's an invitation to apprenticeship. Right? A journey of becoming like him, not just to know the things that Jesus knew, but to actually become like him. In the words of the Apostle Paul, it is the journey of being transformed into the image of Jesus with ever-increasing glory. And in that passage, Paul tells us that this, this transformation that we seek doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit, and as we finished last week, we kind of got to the point where we talked about how the, the Spirit typically transforms us through our. the word we used was training. Our good friend Dallas Willard remind us, reminded us that a successful performance at a moment of crisis rests largely and essentially upon the depths of a self who has wisely and rigorously prepared in the totality of its being, both mind and body. And so while, yes, it is the Spirit that transforms us, is the spirit that transforms us through our preparation and training to be the people who could then go out and live a life like Jesus lived. And so that was last week. And if you weren't, sorry, two weeks ago. If you weren't with us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that because that's kind of the basis that we're now moving on to today. Because the question we're after today is, what does that training and that preparation actually look like? Right? If becoming like Jesus requires intentional training that the Spirit then transforms us through, we need to know what that looks like. Right? How do we form ourselves spiritually? Now, the first bit of today is really just going to be about almost creating a framework or a, a mental image of what that spiritual formation should, should look like. And we're eventually going to arrive at a passage in the, the book of Romans But prior to getting there, I think it's just helpful for us to just be able to to almost picture what our spiritual formation should look like. Because when we we have that image and that framework, it kind of makes sense of a lot of the things that as apprentices of Jesus, we do. Um, So prior to that, diving into the scripture, we're just going to work towards just creating that framework together. Around the question, how do we form ourselves spiritually? And... Prior to diving into that, I think it's actually helpful to just kind of take a step back and ask that question a little bit more broadly. As human beings, what, what forms us, period? God has created us in a way that is dynamic, and, and we don't stay static our whole lives. We, we change and we evolve. Our opinions can change, our hobbies can change, our characteristics and our character traits can change, our perspective on life can change. Sometimes our political views can change, um, our wardrobe changes, all of this, as we go through our life, we evolve and we change. And much thanks to social media, I don't actually have to prove this, we just have to pull out our phones, scroll a few years down on our Facebook profiles, and see some of the things we posted probably wouldn't post today, or pictures that we posted of ourselves 10 years ago, realize I probably wouldn't wear the same thing today. Right, we, we change and we evolve. As I, as I was reflecting on kind of that idea, uh, just trying to internalize what, what is one way that I can kind of share this morning of one way I've changed. And the thing that comes to my mind, the first, is, is my competitive edge. So when I was younger, I was very, very, very competitive. We would often, on family vacations, go mini-golfing. That was kind of our thing to do. And if I did not win mini-golf, I did not talk the rest of the trip. It was game over, right? If my mom beat me at mini golf. It was not a good scene. And, and as I, I got older, I sure got a little bit better at, at managing those emotions that came with not winning. Um, but that desire, that deep desire to win and that deep desire to not lose in every single thing I did, even if it was just a conversation with someone, I had to win that conversation. Right, that was, that was, that was me. And fast forward a little bit, I go off to, to Bible school for eight months in England and eight, eight, nine months, something like that. And I come back, and, and having been back for a few months, I remember sitting around a campfire with Nathan and Madeline and them saying how, how mellow I had gotten. Like, I had totally chilled out, and that wasn't something that I knew. That was brand-new information to me. Um, and while I still had that, still competitive, it certainly wasn't an edge. And so something had happened to me when I went off to Bible school for eight months. And, and as I share that, Maybe you two can relate to, in some way, a certain way that you have changed over the course of your life. And so I extend this, this question to all of us. What is it that forms us into the people that we ultimately become? Now, I would suggest there's probably a few things that, that, that shape us. The first I can identify is the things that we believe. Everyone has a worldview, or certain stories that we buy into and believe, big overarching meta-narratives that help us make sense of our life. And these big overarching meta-narratives that we buy into shape the way we live every day and the decisions that we make, right? They, they determine our morals, our values, our attitudes towards certain things, our goals in life, where we, where we find our purpose, right? For example, if if the creation story is part of your worldview and one of those stories that you orient your life around, that's going to have impacts on the way you treat the environment or the innate value you place on a human life. But our beliefs and our, our, the stories that we buy into don't necessarily stay the exact same our whole life. right? We go through experiences that can sometimes modify the beliefs and the things that we hold to, and as that happens, the way we live our life also changes. One of the most defining parts of my time at Bible School, is actually very fitting that we sang that song, was becoming more and more sure of who I was in Christ. That that song that we sang was basically my testimony of Cape and Ray. And as I became more and more sure of that, I felt less and less of a need to have to prove myself to people. And that ultimately impacted the way I interacted with people in, in competitive situations. Another thing that forms us, aside from our beliefs, are our habits. Now, in a highly intellectual world, this might not be something we're always, maybe we're aware of it, maybe we're not, but the things that we do actually do something to us. right? Habits and addictions don't form because we intellectually decide, I want to be hooked on something. They form because we do something, and then we do it again, and then we do it again, and then we do it again. And the more and more we do it, the more and more we want to do it. Anyone who has binged, we're coming out of COVID, this is everyone, anyone who's binged a TV show knows this, right? You, you watch an episode, and yeah, it's okay. And then you watch another, and another, and another. And the more and more you watch, the more and more you want to watch. If you've been on an exercise plan, you know how hard it is at the beginning. But the more and more you exercise, the more and more you start to like it. Coffee drinkers, the more coffee you drink, typically that fosters and develops an addiction to the point where you just, that's all you crave. If you've looked into just the science of habit, you know that there are physical and emotional and psychological impacts on the things that that we desire. And so, thinking of myself, when I went off to Cape and Ray, I entered a setting I had never been before. It was a country I'd never been to. I didn't know a single person. I was doing things and playing sports and games that I had never really Cared about or participated in when I grew up. And so as I participated in those things without really any emotional investment in them, when I lost, which happened a lot, I didn't really care because it just felt so far removed from my life. And so as I as I participated in those things and began to disassociate me competing in competitive situations with me freaking out, the competitive edge just slowly started to almost just dull. And this wasn't actually something I was particularly aware of. It was brand new information to me when when my friends pointed it out. But as I I engaged in specific activities in specific environments, it gradually formed me into this, in Nathan's word, mellow person. The third thing that forms us are our relationships. And I, I think we all know this. The people we spend time with play a vital role in shaping the person that we ultimately become. If you're a parent, you know this better than anyone, because parents typically are very conscious of who their kids are hanging out with, because they know their friends are going to shape them into the person they're going to become. When I went to Cape and Ray, I I wasn't surrounded by very competitive people. And I remember very early on, when my competitive edge came out, everyone kind of looked at me like, Jacob, it's Uno, (laughs) calm down. (laughs) (laughs) And so, as I began to spend more and more time with that kind of people, I don't even know if it was a conscious just wanting to fit in, but you just kind of, you're shaped by the people that you surround yourself with. And now, while these three things might play a role in shaping the person we ultimately become, they don't do it in isolation. They do it in the context of a particular environment. So for most of us, that's where we live. Aurora, um, Newmarket, Stouffville... Thanks to our phones, it's also the digital world. Like, that's the, the environment that we're living our life in. And our environment plays a massive influence is on the things that we believe and the habits that we engage in and the people that we interact with, right? Our, our environment is not neutral. Our environment has an agenda. It has morals and it has values that it is, it is communicating to us every day that influences the three things that form us. And, and this doesn't happen overnight. Human, just as we are formed into to people, it doesn't, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it takes time as we engage, and our beliefs are modified, and as we engage in habits, and as we surround ourselves by people. This, this formation, it takes time. So as apprentices of Jesus, why are we going through this? Why does this matter to us this morning? I think it matters, because as apprentices of Jesus, if we want to be formed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, then the way we're going to do that is by orienting the things that form us around Jesus. Right? That's how we're going to do it, orient the things that form us around Jesus. So let's, just, let's walk through this, this paradigm one more time, but instead of dwelling on, on human formation, let's dwell on, on spiritual formation. So, what does it mean to orient our beliefs around Jesus? It means to consume the teachings of Jesus. It means going to Scripture and allowing it to show us what is true and what isn't true, who God actually is and who he isn't, who we are and who we aren't. Right? It's, about, it's about taking our own thoughts and our own ideas, things that are likely shaped by our environment, and and replacing them with the thoughts and ideas and beliefs that filled the mind of Jesus, and allowing those new thoughts to then shape the way we go out and to live our lives. What does it mean to to orient our habits around Jesus? Well, it means doing the things that Jesus did. There's a a pastor in the States by the name of John Mark Comer. Some of you may be familiar with him. He says, if you want to live a life like Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And that's, that's essentially what the spiritual disciplines are, if you're familiar familiar with those, right? They are essentially a list of things that Jesus did. And we don't do those, we don't do the practices of Jesus or the spiritual disciplines, whatever term you prefer, because we want to be more religious. We do them because they are the things that Jesus did. And we know that the things we do form us into the person we're going to become. So if we want to become like Jesus, we have to engage in the things that he did, there's no official list of the practices of Jesus, but it's anything from prayer to fasting to reading the Bible to practicing a Sabbath to engaging in a Sunday morning worship service, um, serving, living a simple life, living a celebratory life, a life of gratitude. These are all things that are reflective of the way and the lifestyle that Jesus lived. Right? And if we, if we orient our, our daily lives around these practices of Jesus... They're going to form us into his likeness, right? Because the things that we do shape the person that we're going to become. And what does it mean to orient our relationships around Jesus? Right? It means to surround ourselves by other apprentices of Jesus, right? Because the people that we surround ourselves sel- with play a vital role in shaping the person we're going to become. If we have a person and, and Jesus in mind as the, our desired outcome, then we have to surround ourselves by other people who have that same desire. So what is the environment that, that intentional spiritual formation takes place? Right? We all still live in Aurora or Newmarket or Stouffville, and we all are engaged in the digital world in some capacity. But the environment that an apprentice of Jesus lives their life in and through is in the environment of the Holy Spirit. Right? Well, while these things are about forming ourselves into the likeness of Jesus, it's, it's ultimately, as we said last week, it's the Spirit of God that transforms us. And us just engaging in the teaching of Jesus and the practice and the community is us really just creating space for the Spirit to work in our life. Right? It's, us, it's us doing that training um, and allowing the Spirit to come alongside us and to transform us through that training. Because spiritual formation, if this is a helpful way for you to think of it, it, it's a partnership, right? It's a partnership with us and God. We have a part to play, but so does God. Our part is creating the space, and God's part is the transformation. The uh, church father, Augustine, if you're familiar with him, says that without God, we can't. But without us, God won't. Without us, sorry, pardon me. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. Right? It's a partnership. And when, when we play our part, God plays his part. And as I said before, this, this, this spiritual formation, it happens over time. Now, sometimes the spirit does a, a radical change in someone's life. And, and maybe for you, that's part of your personal testimony. And that certainly happens. But typically, deep, deep character change takes time, right? It, it takes time for the Spirit to do a deep work in our life as we create the space for Him to work. So you said, I said at the beginning, we're, we're, we're trying to create a framework, and this is kind of like what spiritual formation looks like. Allowing the Spirit to transform us as we engage in the teaching of Jesus, engage in the practices of Jesus, and pressing into the community of, of other apprentices that He has put us in. And you'll notice we didn't, call it, uh, we didn't call it spiritual formation. We called it intentional spiritual formation. Because we are dynamic beings, we don't really have a choice about whether we're being formed. We just have a choice about what exactly is that's forming us. And spiritual formation is just about making intentional decisions for the thing to be forming us to be Jesus. And, and this is the thing. If, if we aren't intentional about that, we end up just forming ourselves into the likeness of the environment that we're living in, right? We end up, if, if you want to use the words of the Apostle Paul, we end up conforming to the patterns of this world. The only thing that we have to do to conform to the patterns of this world is wake up. It's a one-step process. Just wake up and don't really give any intentional thought about what's forming us, and we end up conforming to the patterns of this world, because that's, that's where we live, Intentional spiritual formation is about recognizing that I am an apprentice of Jesus. I want to become like him, and in order for me to do that, I have to orient the things that form me the most around him. I have to allow the teachings of Jesus to form my beliefs. I need to allow the practices of Jesus to form my daily habits and my daily rhythm. And I have to allow the community of believers that Jesus has given me to be the people that I intentionally do life with. So that is spiritual formation at a very theory level. And we absolutely flew through it. And so for the remaining 10 minutes, I have you this morning. And for our last message a couple weeks from now, we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive into each one of these three things. And for today, it's going to be doing a bit of a deeper dive into the influence of the teachings of Jesus and what that has on our life. So if you have a Bible, as I said, we're going to open it. To Romans 12, it will also be on the screen here for us this morning. If you've ever read Romans, it is a theological masterpiece. Some may say, some may say it's a theological enigma because there are a ton of things packed into that, that piece of literature. Um, in it, Paul addresses things from justification to adoption into God's family to the gift of the indwelling Spirit to the faithfulness of Christ in the past and how that fuels our continued faithfulness. Our continued hope in his faithfulness and our confidence in his faithfulness in the future. And so as he unpacks all of this things, all this stuff, he arrives at Romans twelve, where he writes this. Therefore, right, in light of in light of all that God has done for us, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Not just not just think a certain way or be nice, but commit your whole being. To following God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is, what is Paul communicating to us on this frigid Sunday morning He's saying that a renewed mind allows us to test and approve what God's will is, right? It it helps us see what God wants, what he desires, what he's doing in our world, what he's he's working towards, And, and a renewed mind, it gives us clarity over this kind of stuff, right? It allows us to see God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, and that word that Paul uses, renewing. That renewing is all about replacing what is old with something that is new. And in in this context, renewing our mind is all about intentionally taking our thoughts and our beliefs that consume our mind, one of the three things that form us the most, and replace them with the thoughts and the beliefs of Jesus as we engage in his teaching and in, in all of Scripture. Once again, our friend Dallas is is coming here this morning. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing, or in the words of Paul, renewing, destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Spiritual formation in Christ moves towards a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. And if we aren't intentional about doing that, If we aren't intentional about renewing our minds by replacing our thoughts with his, then the Apostle Paul, in his letter here, tells us that we can't expect to be able to discern the will of God and be able to see what he's doing and what he is expecting and wanting us to be a part of. And as apprentices of Jesus, without knowing his desires and his intentions and his will, we simply just can't expect to grow in our likeness of him. There's a a professor of New Testament in Chicago named Scott McKnight. Some of you may be familiar with his work. He writes about an exercise he has his students do at the beginning of one of his classes. And it's an exercise that I think really taps into the challenge that as apprentices of Jesus we have in trying to be like him in our current cultural environment. And so at the beginning of every class, he would have students do two surveys. The first survey was a, a personal survey. He would just ask them questions about their likes and their dislikes and their interests, which, which kind of movements they supported, uh, what values they had, what things they thought were important in life. And so they'd do that. And then he would hand them a second survey. And this second survey was the exact same questions, except this time it was about Jesus. They were essentially filling it out on behalf of, you know, on behalf of Jesus. And what Scott McKnight writes is that he found about 90% of the time, students wrote the exact same answers on both surveys. So from our perspective, that can mean a couple things. It can either mean that they were really good apprentices of Jesus, which is possible. It can also mean that the students had a tendency to allow their own thoughts and their own ideas to just influence and shape their understanding of Jesus and who they, who they believed that he was. Now, I can't actually prove which one is happening. The numbers don't tell us that. But the idea that, that they were just allowing their own beliefs and their own values to just shape their understanding of Jesus is not actually that surprising, given the cultural environment that we live in. Right? What's the message that we are constantly, constantly hearing as people who, who live in a particular environment? we're hearing that we just need to ignore everything around us, right? Ignore what your parents say, your friends say. Definitely ignore what the Bible says because what you're looking for, your purpose, is gonna, you're going to find it within. And the truth and the questions that you have in life, they, the answers to them exist within. That's where you're going to find everything that you are looking for. That outlook on life, unfortunately, actually fortunately, is not compatible with an apprenticeship to Jesus. It just isn't, right? To be an apprentice of Jesus is to say, no, 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 no. I am not the source of truth, right? My rabbi, my king, my savior, my God, Jesus is. And I choose to seek that truth by going to his word and allowing that truth to make sense of my life, not the other way around. John Mark Homer says that our theology can sometimes be like a mirror of the soul, us just projecting onto God what's already in our mind and, and what we kind of just want Him to be like, which, again, has probably largely been shaped by the environment that we live in. And so if we want, as the Apostle Paul says, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can test and approve what God's will is, then we have to flip that script. Right? We need to project His thoughts and His ideas onto and into ourselves, so that we can then be transformed into his image, and as Paul says, with ever-increasing glory. Now, we have a couple minutes left today. What is the best way that we can do that? Right? How do we devote ourselves to the teachings of Jesus and to Scripture? Now, I've come up with a list here. It is not profound in any way. You're going to see this list and be like, yep, got it. But I think it's helpful because it allows us to orient, again. if we think of that framework, allows us just to understand the things that we do and, and the influence that they have on our, on our formation. And so the first one is right here. Come to church. You're all nailing it this morning. Well done. There are a few reasons we come to church every week, and one of them is to open and hear the Word of God. And the best part about doing that in a church setting is that someone up here has you in mind as they go to the Word. And so there are, are many ways to engage in the teaching of Jesus, but on a Sunday morning, gathering together, for many other reasons than this, but this specifically, is to open and hear the Word of God. Another way to engage in the teachings of Jesus is a way that is unique to us, um, digital teaching. We live in an era of the church and participate in an era of the church that was not blessed with the amount of resources we have available to us. Now, you can go overboard with this. I think when it comes to digital teaching, you need to keep in mind that teaching is one of the three things that form us. It's a very important one. But I know because there's so much out there, it is, you can get consumed by it. Definitely, definitely, definitely engage in it, though. Right? Be a podcast person, if that's something that you're not familiar with. There's so much on YouTube. Um, right now, media, we have a link on our website. So much available to us. Again, it's easy to overload ourselves, but it it definitely can be something that we can engage in. And this last suggestion I have here, it's groundbreaking. Read the Bible. J.D. Greer says that if you want to hear God speak out loud, read the Bible out loud, because that's what it is. It is God's inspired word in written form, and we can't possibly replace, remember that process of renewing our thoughts with his thoughts, if we aren't actually going to the word of God ourselves. It's very easy to become very heavily dependent on option one and option two and to neglect option three, right? But God's word is inspired for all of us to go to and to listen. And if, if discipline is something you, you struggle with, read it with someone. Ask someone, there are lots of people here, ask someone to read something with you We have a a corporate YouVersion Bible plan. Engage in that. It's a great accountability thing. Join a small group. Every week we come up here and we announce small groups. And there are many reasons why I would encourage you to join a small group. One of the big ones is that in a small group, what's one thing that happens? We engage in the Word of God and allow it to form our thoughts and our mind. And the more and more we do these things, the more and more we listen to what God has to say in His Word the more we're able to renew our minds and the more we're able to discern the perfect will of God, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And as I said before, if our goal as apprentices of Jesus is to become like him, then we need our thoughts and our images and our our meta-narratives and the stories that we believe in to be shaped by what he has to say. So as we close this morning, I'll, I'll invite the worship team to come back up. I want to just bring one last passage of scripture to our attention. So Matthew 5 to Matthew 7 is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, right? The largest just chunk of Jesus' teaching with no interruptions of, of narrative or whatnot. It's just strict teaching, a very long sermon, essentially. And right at the end of it, the Gospel, Matthew write, the Gospel writer Matthew records, records this. He says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority not like their teachers of the law. Jesus isn't just any teacher, right? He is the divine teacher. He is the one who has ultimate authority. Rabbis of his day and teachers of the law of his day, when they would do their teaching, they would always quote other people, right? Because they wanted their teaching to be reliable, and so they felt the need to have to quote other reliable people. Jesus didn't do this. Read the Sermon on the Mount. He doesn't quote anyone, right? He addresses the issues directly, right, in terms of his own understanding without feeling any need to quote anybody else. Other rabbis and teachers of the law base their authority on traditions and what had been said in the past. Jesus' authority is rooted in himself because he is the ultimate teacher. He is the divine teacher. He is the source of truth. We looked at... um, the Great Commission last week, and what does he say right off the bat? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you're looking for a reason why we associate ourselves with the rabbi Jesus and why he is the rabbi that we follow, that's why. Right? In our attempt and in our attempt and our lifelong calling to become like him, We can only do that by seeking what he has to say, right? In scripture and in in just listening to what he has to communicate through his spirit to us as we engage in his word. So let's just pray together this morning. Dear Lord, we, we come before you this morning grateful. Grateful that you are a God that came to earth for many, many reasons, but one of which is to show us what you are like. And we have this this word that you've given to us of all the accounts of the stories and the interactions that you had with people on this earth. And so I pray that as we seek to live our lives for you, following you, wanting our life to be formed into your likeness, I pray that we would go to your word. I know we have a lot of, some of us feel like we have reasons for why that's a challenge, and some of us do. But I pray that in our own individual lives that you would speak to us in this moment and, and just communicate ways that we can best engage in your word individually, together, because we know that it is what is going to form us. We know that, that you want us to become like you and you've given us this, this, this book that we can go to and learn how to do that best and to replace our thoughts with yours. And so I pray that that would just be reflective of our experience this year, this week even. I pray that you would teach us and speak to us in new and exciting ways as we engage with you. I pray these things in your name. Amen.